Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. Um, I hope you've got your copy of God's Word and you're ready to look at uh, our fourth uh, Psalm of Lament. We looked at, started with the Psalms of Ascent. We've gone to the Psalms of Lament and uh, they are exactly what they sound like. This is, this is the psalmist crying out to God because of something going on in his life. Well, we've looked at uh, three Psalms of Lament already, Psalm 3 and Psalm 7, and they came out of the experience of David when his son betrayed him. Uh, when Absalom came to take over the throne and to um, uh, seize the throne from his father, from David, uh, it, it dealt with those, those two Psalms dealt with that. That was the background. And then Psalm 13 dealt with uh, David when he was being pursued by Saul. Now, I think I shared with you that at the beginning that there are some 14 Psalms that we can tie directly back to events in David's life, probably more than that. Um, but uh, 14 that we, we got some real certainty, this is the event. Now, you come to Psalm 17 today, this fourth Psalm of Lament, I'm not exactly sure which event it was. I've got two possibilities, and the two are what we've already seen. Uh, one is that this was when Absalom was spreading slander about his father, turning the nation against David, lying to the people uh, about David, or it was either when Saul was pursuing David and uh, David was on one side of the mountain. Saul split the army of Israel and they were coming at him from both sides and there was no escape. That may have been a possibility. Uh, and I say that because in verse seven, uh, he says uh, this, uh, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge. He was looking for refuge. Now, what you come to in Psalm 17 uh, is a prayer. And this has been called the first intercessory prayer in the Psalms. Uh, what do you do? Where do you go when you face adversity? We're living in a time of adversity. Uh, I, I've heard statistics just yesterday talking about uh, the incredible rise in prescription uh, anxiety medication and the alarming rise in alcohol sales. Those two things, right now in the midst of what we're going through, um, we're watching people, their lives are falling apart and they're trying to hold their life together with either anxiety medication or with alcohol and, or binge watching you know, Netflix. And let me tell you, <laughs> there's no solution in any of those for your anxiety. Well, here is David in the midst of his adversity, and what is he going to do? He's going to pray. Let me, let me just tell you this, that overwhelming pain can be overwhelmed with overwhelming prayer. That's a lot of overwhelming right there, but that's what you find. He's going to overwhelm his pain uh, by overwhelming God with prayer. So let's begin. This is a very difficult psalm. I'm going to divide it out into five different sections. Um, I think there are five sections to this, and I'm just going to begin to read through it, and uh, I'll give you each section. I'll tell you what each section deals with. The first section, verse 1 and verse 2, is an appeal to truth. 
He's going to pray and he's going to say two things to God um, here in these, uh, in, in these first opening verses. One is he's saying, God, see me, look at me. Now watch it, what he does. In fact, if you've got a pencil, you can kind of uh, underline this. He's going to say, hear, attend, or listen. And number three, give ear. He's going to talk about my cause, my cry, my prayer. Now, let me go to the verses. He's saying, God, look at me. Look at my life. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Now, let me, I'm going to say this a couple of times. David isn't saying here, I'm an innocent man. I'm as pure as the pure can possibly be. What he is saying is this, is God in this issue that I'm caught in, I'm innocent. Uh, I, I, I am, I am not guilty of the things. It's kind of like what we discussed, um, a day or so ago. I'm not guilty of the things that are being said about me. He says, my lips are free of deceit. In this situation, God, I'm, I'm confessed up. I'm prayed up and I'm being honest. I want you to see that I'm innocent here. For, from your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Lord, look and see. In this, I've not done what's being said of me. I'm not, I'm not guilty of the sin that I'm accused of. So he says, God, look at me. Look into my life. I want to tell you something. When you start to go to pray, the best thing you can do is get confessed up and then pray. Number, number two, the second part of this is search me. See me, God. Now search me. Look into my life and see and search. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of violent, uh, of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Now, let me, let me take those few verses and listen to what he's saying. He's saying, God, search me. In this issue, in this matter, search me and, and try me and see, Lord, that I, I'm, I'm not holding out here. I'm not trying to cover up anything. He says, you have visited me by night. He says, you've done a bed check. You remember, you remember when uh, the Mayberry Jail had uh, two uh, outstanding criminals um, locked up in it, and Barney wanted to impress these two outstanding criminals. Uh, and so he was giving them all the rules and, you know, man, you're here at the rock and you, you no escape, all of this stuff. You're going to follow the rules. He's trying to make them think that they are at a big time prison and, uh, they know he's just full of bluster. And this is just a little small County jail. And, uh, one guy says to the other, he says, boy, he says, man, they sure run a tight place here. This is tough. He says, um, but they haven't done a, they haven't done a, you know, a surprise check yet. And, uh, he says, but I guess they can't know everything. And then of course, Barney turns around and he hollers, okay, bed check, bed check. Well, that's what David is doing here. He's in bed check. He says, you come do a bed check, do a room check, do a closet check, do whatever check you need to do on me, um, and test me. And you're going to find, I don't have anything. As far as this goes, I've done nothing. I've purposed that my mouth, that even my mouth, I will not transgress. 
that in this thing, Lord, which I'm being lied about, in this thing of which I'm being slandered, God, I'm not guilty of this. With regard to the works of man, now he goes from what he says now to what he does. With regard to the works of man by the word of your lips, I've avoided the ways of the violent. Now, I don't have any doubt that right here, David isn't going back and thinking about an event in his life that you find in 1 Samuel chapter 25. It was when he went to um, Nabal. You remember they went to Nabal, this man who was wealthy, and it was the time when they were shearing sheep and he was saying, listen, we've protected your men. We've helped guard your flocks. Uh, would you just give us, we're hungry. Would you give us something? And of course, Nabal was a fool. Uh, that's what he, his name meant and that's what he was. And he insulted David and David's men and David goes, they come back and they tell David, man, he's just insulted you. He's, and it made David as angry as he could be. And he basically turned around and in his best John Wayne, uh, imitation, he said, mount up boys. We're, we're going after And he was going to go kill Nabal. Well, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, uh, happens to deal with Nabal's wife, Abigail, whom I just absolutely love. I'm, always amazed at the wisdom, the shrewdness, the way she can handle men. She comes out to David with all of this food. She bows herself down at his feet. She is far smarter than David. David realizes this and he's going to marry her. Well, she fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. She, she is just magnanimous. She's one of the great characters of the Old Testament, in my opinion. Uh, don't let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for his, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. I'm your maidservant. Uh, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and avenging yourself by your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. She comes out and she comes to him and she says, listen, David, don't do this. Don't, don't do this. This is beneath you. He is a foolish man. He doesn't know what he's doing. And you could slaughter him and all of his servants here. But David, you're better than that. And she speaks godly wisdom to David. And right here, I don't have any doubt that that's not what David is remembering. He says, I avoided the way of the violent. My steps held fast to your, to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Now, if you notice that, my steps have held fast past tense to your past. My feet have not slipped. He said, this isn't a one-time decision. He says, this is what I decided long time ago. And he says, I have kept this decision to this day. David doesn't say, okay, I'll change for this one moment right now while we're going through this pandemic. I, I'm going to straighten up. I'm going to watch church and we're going to do what's right. And then as soon as this is over with, I'm back to doing what I used to do. David says, no, not me. He says, Lord, he says, I started walking down your path and I've been doing it ever since. That doesn't mean he's perfect. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, Lord, I've made a commitment in my life. I've made a decision in my life. I am going to follow Christ. Do you remember um, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ. 
loves me so wherever he leads, I go, that was David's song right here. That's what he's saying. Now that's the first, his appeal to truth. God, you can look at my life and in this situation, I'm innocent. Then he comes secondly to appeal to love beginning in verse six. I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my words. Now, he's got four really highly charged Hebrew words that he's going to come up on here. Wondrously, um, Pela in the, in the Hebrew. Pela is wonderful. Uh, and it is, uh, it's an interesting word. Uh, that was the name of the coming Messiah. And he shall be called Wonderful. Um, do you remember back in Genesis chapter 18, uh, where, in fact, let me do this. Let me just go back there to Genesis 18 for a second. Let me, let me show you something about this word. Um, Genesis chapter 18. And I think it's, uh, I think it's verse, verse 19, 18. Of Genesis, for I have chosen him. Um, is it eighteen fourteen? Sorry. Uh, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Here, here's you know Sarah and Abraham. Uh, Abraham's going to be a hundred. Sarah's going to be uh, what ninety years of age. And she's going to conceive and give birth to a child. And right here, God says this, listen to this, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Do you know what that word difficult is? It's the same word that you find back over here in Psalm 17, verse 7. Wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for God? He comes and he says, wondrously. Wondrously, show your steadfast love, your faithfulness. That's that old King James word, loving kindness right there. Oh, Savior, there's the third. Wondrously, steadfast love, Savior. And the fourth word is refuge. You're my shield. Twice we've heard that from David. You're my tower. You're my buckler. Uh, You are the one who saves me. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. He says, I come to your right hand because that's the hand of strength. I come to stand there uh, for you. He's appealing to the love of God. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Now that word in Hebrew is the word pupil. Uh, it's the pupil of your eye. And uh, it's it, it, the word literally means the little person that is in. That's what the Hebrews would call it. The little person in your eye is your pupil. And what he's saying to God is this. He's saying, God, look into my eye. Let, let, let me be the apple of your eye. Look, 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 and let me find myself. You can see your reflection in another person's eye. He says, let me be that apple of your eye. It's, it's a term of endearment is what it is. It's, a, it's an expression of deep affection and fondness. When I first met Debbie, I fell in love with her. And I fell in love, I think, first with her eyes. She has these big brown eyes and these very dark pupils. 
And I tell you, I found myself swimming in those things and I was lost in, in, uh, <laughs> I was lost in love. Anyway, that's what David is saying right here. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of uh, your wings. That's exactly what Moses had said back in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He's about to die. He's speaking to this young generation now that's about to go into the land. And he's saying, let me remind you of what God has done for the Jews, for the Hebrews, for your parents, for your people. He found him, speaking of Israel, he found him in a desert land in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them and he carried them on his pinions. Now here, David is quoting Moses and he's saying, God, make me, protect me like the pupil of your eye and carry me in the shadow of your wings away from the wicked who would do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. I'm being surrounded. The adversaries are here is what he said in verse seven, verse nine. He said, my enemies now have surrounded me. They're all around me. And he's appealing in prayer um, to God's love. Now, let me come to the third thing, beginning in verse 10. He appeals to God's justice. They close their hearts to pity. He said, they don't have a heart. He said, they have no pity. They could care less uh, how bad they have hurt me, how bad they have hurt other people. They have no heart for the people. Tragically and sadly, and it pains me to say that there are those who are in church leadership who in all honesty have no pity for the people. They have no care for the people whatsoever. They make life hard on them. That's exactly what Jesus was saying to the religious leadership of his day. He was telling them, you put on them undue burdens. Um, anyway, he says that's how they are. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. Now, this is the third time he's come and he's given the indication that he's been surrounded. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. They're looking at us and they're, they're basically, they've got our eyes on us and they're saying, we're going to throw you down. We're, we're going to defeat you. He's like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. They want to come and tear us apart. Now, here comes the appeal to deliver. This is number four, beginning in verse 13. Now listen to these verbs here. Arise, O Lord. Confront him. Subdue him. Deliver my soul. Do you see that? Arise, confront, subdue, deliver from the hand of the wicked. And he says, God, by your sword, from men, by your hand, O Lord. He's saying this, Lord, I want you to deliver me I'm not interested in anybody else coming to my rescue. I'm not looking for the president to come to my rescue. I'm not looking for the Congress to come to my rescue. I'm not looking for the attorney general to come to my rescue. I'm not looking for the surgeon general to come to my rescue or medication or alcohol or anything else. I will not be satisfied until it is God himself who comes to rescue me. Boy, what a word. It's you, Lord, it's you that I'm looking for. Deliver me by your sword, 
from, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. He's saying these people, these wicked people, these evil people, the, all they're interested in is the stuff of this world. You feel their womb. Now, let me tell you, this is a very difficult, difficult part of this passage. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their infants. This thing has been translated so many ways, but let me just give you uh, what you will find in the, in the Brunson version of suppositions. What I think he's saying is this, is he's saying, God, you are the one who's given them every good thing in life. Everything they've got, you've given to them. And they, they take it. They give you no thanks. They give you, they give you no regard. They give you no appreciation. They give you no gratitude. They turn around and they just collect it and collect it and collect it and hoard it. And they're going to leave it to their kids to the next generation. Um, you ever, you ever, you know, the big thing at my daddy's house was this is you'd better not touch a bite of that food until you had the blessing. Um, that was a big part of our meals. My dad, my dad had two rules. Well, maybe about three rules. When you came to a table, number one, you'd better say that blessing first or you, you were going to get your funeral preached. Number two, you were to eat what's on that table and you better not complain about it. And number three, the third thing was my daddy would not tolerate any upset from anybody sitting at the table. Now, if you were going to be upset, you had to leave the table. But the meal time was to be pleasant. Have you ever, have you ever watched people who they'll just sit down, uh, maybe out in a restaurant or wherever, and they'll just attack that food like they've not eaten in the last five months? Uh, never stop to give thanks to God. Never pause to give the Lord appreciation. That's what he's saying right here. He says all they're interested in is what's in this life. And he said they never stop to realize that the greatest blessings in life down to the least little blessing in life, every bit of it comes from you. Now he appeals, God to deliver me from those kind of people. And now you come to the final declaration. The declaration is this, verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. He says what they want is they want more and more and more of what this world has to offer. He says, for me, I can have the whole world and that will not satisfy me. He says, only your face in righteousness when I wake is what's gonna satisfy me. I shall be satisfied with you only when I see you will I be satisfied. That's the King's speech. I love that movie. Uh, but here you come to the King's speech and the king says, I may have it all, but the only thing that satisfies me is my God. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.